Welcome back to our podcast, Synergy, Finding the Biology in the Book of Genesis. I'm David, a professor of biology and genetics at the University of Hawaii. Hi friends, I'm Malka. I'm your resident nerd for Semitic languages and Star Wars, as it turns out. (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to have you back. So today, today we want to take a serious look at the book of Genesis. And wow, this is an amazing book. If you haven't read Genesis, you have to. Whether you're a scientist or not, you have to read it and see the beauty of the stories that are in Genesis. We want to focus on some of the scientific wisdom that's in Genesis. And so we're going to talk about a few key parts of Genesis today that deal with very important scientific ideas. We're gonna get started with the very first verses in Genesis, but before we do that, I want you to expand your, try to expand your thinking about God, as we mentioned before in our mini-sode, but now also about the universe that we live in. Remember, We live in a solar system that consists of one sun and a few planets, and we're part of a larger entity, a larger collection of solar systems called the Milky Way. And we're actually on the periphery of the Milky Way. The Milky Way has untold numbers of solar systems within it that are all out there and that we know very little about. And then the entire Milky Way galaxy is one of an estimated two trillion galaxies making up our universe. And it's expanding, it's expanding even more. So this is, again, you have to open your mind to these ideas and really try to understand them. So again, let's start with Genesis, the first verse of Genesis, talking about um, the the creation stories. Sorry, just You remember that song that's just remember that you're standing on a planet that's revolving. Yes, absolutely. I I have that song stuck in my head now. I don't know why. Anyway, yes. So verse one, chapter one of Genesis in the Hebrew. And I actually forgot to mention before in our mini-sode, but I think it's good to remember that the Torah is originally written in Hebrew, and we have so, so, so many translations, a lot of which are not good, by the way, of, of this original Hebrew Bible text. And so it's really fundamental to remember that the original text is in Hebrew. And when we read, when I, when Malka will read the Hebrew, and when I read the translation, I just want to acknowledge that the translations that I'm reading come from safaria.org. Yes, we're safaria lovers in this house. <laughs> so, we start out. When God began to create heaven and earth. Now, this may be a little bit different than the interpretations that you might have read previously of this first verse in Genesis. The key word here is bereshit. Right. And so just a quick look at the etymology of that word. 
in Hebrew, or in English rather, it says when God began creating the heavens and the earth. And that's not a literal translation, but I would say it's a good translation because Bereshit means in a beginning. It's We see a lot of translations that say in the beginning, but the Torah does not say that. Torah says in a beginning. Bereshit is in a beginning. And then the second verse... Genesis 1-2. Right, it says, The earth being unformed and void or chaotic with darkness over the surface of the deep. Yeah, and it just as a quick aside, it, it's kind of funny that in modern Hebrew, this is biblical Hebrew, of course, but in modern Hebrew, if you use the phrase tohu vavohu, it just connotes like total chaos. It's balagan is another synonym for it. Like, you know, just like, oh my gosh, my house is tohu vavohu. It's like, you know, kids All right. are... All right, let's get to the science here, because that's where... Quarantine, <clears throat> my house is tohu vavohu. This is where I want to introduce the science. You may or may not recall this scientific concept that we call the laws of thermodynamics. We're going to talk, I want to talk about the second law of thermodynamics. These are fundamental biological, fundamental scientific principles. The second law of thermodynamics says that the universe always tends towards entropy. Entropy can also be defined as chaos or lack of organization. So left to its own device, left on its own, the universe will tend to entropy of this disorder or chaos, exactly as is described in Genesis, the second verse of Genesis. Okay, but is there a way to reverse the process of entropy? I feel like I recall there's, uh, I don't really remember much from thermodynamics, but I feel like we're taught that there's a way to reverse entropy. Absolutely, there is. And it's to, <clears throat> you have to input energy to reverse the entropy. Right, to bring order back to the universe. So let's look at the third verse of Genesis, which ex addresses that, that issue exactly. Dun, dun, dun. Vayomer Elohim yehi or, vayhi or. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Yay! Light is, the, is energy. It's a form of energy that can be input into the system to reverse the entropy or reverse chaos. And so that results in the creation of the physical world and living things, right? By the way, that's a, also a biological principle. When we, talk, when we say a living thing in biology, we're talking about an open system. And so we're an open system. And we, to survive, we require the input of energy to survive on a daily basis. Now, for the next, the next couple of things we're going to cover, we're going to talk about um, the two creation. There are actually two creation stories in Genesis. You may or may not be aware of that. We're going to talk about both of them. Um, and then we're also going to talk in this episode about the Garden of Eden. Right. So these first three verses of Genesis are actually setting up, we're sort of laying the groundwork, or God is laying the groundwork. And this is all part of the first creation story. And in this first creation story, we have six days outlined, and well, seven days actually, 
So I'm just going to give a brief summary of each day. And the, all these days are like setting the scene for the world. So on the first day, as we know, God creates light and God separates the light from the darkness. On the second day, God creates waters. Or God separates the waters to create the expanse of the heavens. Then the third day, God's create, God creates dry land and then causes all this amazing, awesome vegetation to just burst forth from the land. Fourth day, God creates the sun and the moon and sets them in the heavens. Fifth day, God populates the waters with all the awesome living creatures, including dolphins. And then we have the birds in the sky too, all sorts of flying winged creatures. And on the sixth day, we have land animals and finally us, the humans. And God says, Oy vey. no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> just kidding. God blesses us and says, hey guys, this is awesome. Now there are there are some scientific issues that come up. <clears throat> excuse me, talking about these this um, this this first creation story. One scientific issue comes up is the question: Were these days supposed to represent twenty four hour periods? So I would say, from a, a Torah perspective, no. There's nowhere in the text that actually indicates to us that we need to define this as a twenty four hour period. There is this phrase that keeps reoccurring at the end of the description of each day. It's Vaihi Erev, Vaihi Voker, Yom Echad, or Yom Sheni, or whatever. It's, there was evening and there was morning, a first day, or a second day. I think people tend to get hung up on that phrase, but really, what I think Torah is trying to show us here with the usage of the word Yom, instead of this strict... 24-hour period of time is that God is creating time, and time is beginning. There, there is some sort of passage of time here, but we do not have to understand it as a strict 24-hour period. We're just getting into a rhythm, into a cycle, and time is passing. We use this term in English the same way when we talk, when we say, oh, back in the day, when we say back in the day, we're talking about some period of time in the past, not just 24 hours. We're talking about some extended period of time where a lot of different things can happen uh, in this back in what we talk about in the day. Like back in the day in high school when I used to have a portable CD player. <laughs> I'm not old enough to have had a Walkman, by the way. <laughs> and, <clears throat> all right. There are some other issues that come up in recounting the events of, of the creation, the events that occur in this first creation story. And that is that, for example, people talk about the fact that plants are created on the third day, but then on the fourth day is when we hear about the sun. So that, that's something of a scientific issue that people sometimes object to because plants need light to carry out photosynthesis. Or rather people cite, use that as grounds for a scientific objection saying, there's no way that science and biology or what have you can line up with this biblical account of the first days of creation. Yes. And, and again, I would say actually, we, there's no controversy, controversy here because 
remember on the first day, what is God's first action? God says, let there be light. So God has already created the light that living organisms need to photosynthesize or, or what have you. And it's yes, it's true that on the fourth day, God makes the sun, moon, and stars. But really, these are vehicles for the light that has already been created. And they're, they're for us, like the human beings that are about to enter onto the scene, so we can mark the passage of time and the seasons, which is something that even though we don't live in an agrarian society anymore, we still need to do that. It's still very important. So it's for us. And it, it is true, certainly, that I think we all agree with that humans, this is consistent with the idea that humans appear relatively late in the history of life on our planet, and humans don't appear until the sixth day. But regardless, I think we're missing the point here. I think the importance of this story, this first recounting of events of creation, is to prepare us for the concept of what happens on the seventh day in this story, the seventh day, the day that we call Shabbat. Yes. So we have these six days of creation leading up to Shabbat. And I was going to add in before, it's the fact that humans are latecomers onto the scene in the biblical account is, I think that's a nice place where Torah and science actually dovetail quite nicely. So anyway. They do, but... But again, I think the I think what we need to appreciate is the story is getting us in a rhythm, a rhythm thinking about six days and a seventh day, where the seventh day is something special and totally different. In biology, we call those the rhythm, that rhythm, that kind of rhythm, we call it a circadian rhythm. And this is an important concept that governs every aspect of our biology. When we wake up in the morning, when we go to sleep at night, when we're hungry, when we're going to do certain activities, the circadian rhythm governs our daily life. And so, again, I think this is why we're, the story is getting us talking about days to get us ready for this incredibly important concept of Shabbat. It's going to come back so many times throughout the entire um, Torah. Right. And we don't have any Jews on the scene yet. But again, Shabbat is, I think one could make a convincing argument that Shabbat is the central piece of Judaism. So that sums up the first account of creation that Torah gives us. And now we have this second account of creation, which by the way, it took me well into my adult life to realize that there were these two accounts of creation. And I was actually shocked when I realized this. So if you're feeling surprised, you're not alone. And this second account of creation is probably the one that people are more familiar with, because this is the one in which God takes the dust of the earth and he forms it into a being, a, a man, and God blows into the nostrils of this being, giving it life, and he names it Adam. And this is reminding me of a great joke about, <laughs> so the joke goes that, you know, God takes the dust of the earth and he creates Adam, Adam. And God says, well, great, Adam, welcome to earth, welcome to life. And uh, I'm thinking about creating you a companion. 
So I want you to give me a list of things that you would like her to, you know, embody. And Adam goes, oh, man, great. So he goes, well, like, I want her to, like, be pretty, but, like, not too pretty. Because, like, I don't want my friends to be jealous. And uh, she has to be smart. And, like, I want her to be a good cook. And he's going through this whole long list. And God sits there, listens very patiently. It's like, mm-hmm, okay, yep, all right, all right. And when Nadam is finally finished, God goes, okay, dude, fine. But this is going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam goes, oh, uh, what could I get for one rib? (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. (laughs) Let's get back to what we're focusing on here. Let us examine the biological significance of the second story. (laughs) I think the most important biological significance of the second story is it helps us to understand the concept of what does it mean to be alive. Now, this is something that we should all think about every day. We are alive. What does that mean to be alive? And are, are we just functioning? Are we just a collection of chemicals and chemical reactions that's going about business in a, in a, in a, in a robotic kind of manner? Or are we something beyond that? So again, let's go back to the Genesis, to chapters and to the chapter and verse in Genesis. Let's start by looking at chapter, uh, <clears throat> chapter two, verse seven in the second creation story. Yes, do let us consult the text. Uh, So Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 states in the Hebrew, Vayitzer Adonai Elohim et ha'adam afar min ha'adama vayipach be'apav nishmat chayim vayihi ha'adam l'nefesh chaya. So this, this says, um, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth, and the dust represents the basic chemical elements that we find in earth that are, are part of the physical makeup of our bodies. Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, all these basic elements. That's when you would talk about the dust of the earth. That's this referring to these basic chemical elements. But then the passage, the the, the uh, oh, verse. Whoa, whoa, wait! Before we get there, though, I I just want to talk really quickly about a very interesting linguistic connection here. The name that our first created being has is Adam, right? And it's actually the same root as the Hebrew word for Earth, Adama, Adam, Adama. I'm sure you can hear the the similarity there. And so it's, I think it's just a cool connection that we have the, those two words share the same root. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and then the verse continues on. He blew into his nostrils, referring to Adam's nostrils. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So this is clearly saying that being alive is more than just being a collection of chemicals and chemical reactions. Being alive means that we have something extra, something extra given to us by God to appreciate and to enjoy as part of this fascinating idea that we are alive. 10 points for Torah. Bing, bing. So my question is, are we to understand Adam? And of course, after this, God creates Chava, Eve, from taking one of Adam's ribs. 
So are we to understand Adam and Chava as literal single individuals? No, I. They're clearly, as you said, Adam is Adama. Adam is of the earth, and um, they're clearly intended to represent the that they are the ancestors of all humans, right? And this is very important biologically because if we all all humans have a common ancestor, no one group, no one ethnic group, or whatever you want to call that, no one ethnic group can claim superiority over another because we're all descended from the same ancestors that we refer to as Adam and Eve. You're unique and special, just like everybody else. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's move to the next con- the next part of this incredible story, um, and that is the Garden of Eden. Talk about the Garden of Eden. Yes, yeah, so we have Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, and their home is Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, and so I'm wondering what what we can learn for, or like what biology can tell us about the setting of the Garden of Eden. Well, first, that's a great question. And first, I want to point out that there's clearly tremendous biological diversity in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the first part of this description of the garden talks about water, several rivers running through the garden. Rivers, the water, that's obviously essential for life. And there are there's land, and there are many di- the first there are first different trees and plants that are part of this thing that we call the Garden of Eden. So let's look at Genesis two, verse chapter two, verse nine, to talk about what's in the garden. So the Hebrew text says, Adonai Elohim min kol v'tov lemachal." So, and all the translation, and from the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And so this is exact, this describing, there were several different trees there. There were trees that were, just trees there for pleasure, to provide shade, and to be pleasing to the eye, trees that were there to provide food for Adam and Eve to live in the garden, and there were the two trees that everyone talks about, the tree of life life, and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. So there's a tremendous biological diversity in the garden. What about animals? And then animals, the important chapter and verse that talk about animals comes in Genesis 2:19. So let's take we'll take a look at that. Which if you listen to our introductory episode, you might actually rem- remember us referencing that. And here I'm going to give you the actual Hebrew text. It says, Adonai Elohim min ha'adama kol chayat hasadeh ve'et kol of hashamayim va'yaveh el ha'adam lirot ma'ikra lo." And the Lord God formed out of the earth all the wild beasts and all the birds of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that would be its name. And again, as Malka mentioned, our previous um, uh, talking about previous podcast, we talked about the fact that this is the science of taxonomy. 
in the science taxonomy in biology, it's people decide the names of living things. And the names are very important to understand the relationships of living things. I think it's so significant that this passage specifically assigns that task to man, right, to people. God could have done it. God could have told Adam and Eve what the names were. But no, God says, you decide on the names. Again, that's the science of taxonomy. So Adam wasn't saying, eh, okay, you are uh, Shmulik, uh, you are, you are Moishi, and uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, this is one of the things that I love so, so much about Torah and why I aspire to devote my life to studying it and teaching it is that there are so many layers of meaning that you can divine from from this text, which when you look at it, it appears so sparse, but when you really sit with it, all these details and all these layers start becoming apparent, and it's just so beautiful. You, you hopefully have gotten a picture of how we can learn things about biology from Torah, even though it's not a scientific textbook, and there are so many different layers of spiritual meaning. I hope I've demonstrated to you that there are in connection to the spiritual layers, we have linguistic elements that add to our sense of spirituality. And it's this is why we return to the same text year after year, because it's actually never boring. It never gets old. There's always more to learn. You learn and you learn more every time you read it. Again, you learn more because you, you change. We change as time goes on. Our perspective changes. And we increase, that helps us increase our understanding of this sacred text. And so in our, I think that's about it for this episode. Yep. We're going to continue, but in our next episode, we're going to continue right along in Genesis because there's so much um, in this book to appreciate Yes. Next episode, Family Feud. <laughs> you, can think, you can describe it that way. <laughs> <Okay>. yes. <laughs> All right, Chavirim. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you all had or are having a lovely Pesach. Stay healthy. Uh, please like, please follow, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. Feel free to reach out to us with comments and questions, biologyandgenesis at gmail.com. As always, the email is going to be in the episode description. And we will see you next time. Shalom. Bye. Pereshit para Elohim et Hashamayim vetaretz vetaretz haita tohu vavohu vechoshech al pnetehom veruach Elohim merachefet al pnehamayim vayomer Elohim yehior Vehior Vaitzer Adonai Elohim et Adam Afar Minha Adama
ויפח באפיו נשמת חיים, ויהי הדם לנפש חיה. ויצר אדוני אלוהים מן האדמה, כל חיית השדה, ואת כל עוף השמיים. ויבא אל האדם לראות מה יקרא לו וכל אשר יקרא לו האדם נפש חיה הוא שמו